Hey Candy Fam, this is Nate from Talking Candy. We wanted to let you know that this audio podcast is a recording from a weekly YouTube series on the Talking Candy YouTube channel. We often reference charts and other visual aids throughout the show that in our opinion improve the overall experience. Thanks for listening and be sure to subscribe so that you can stay informed on everything in the world of candy each and every week. Well, as we've been reviewing the, the previous week of datas, datas, okay. <laughs> what is up, guys? My name is Nate, and this is the Talking Candy podcast. And as you can see, we have our first guest of the podcast, or our first guest of the channel, FD. Many of you know FD in the uh, in the Discord for his his data and his contributions to the conversation. A lot of useful data. So yeah, FD, thank you for for being here. Thanks for having me, Nate. I'm excited to to dig into the details here as we discuss what the market has to to offer us. Yeah. So FD reached out to me after seeing one of or a few of my YouTube videos, specifically the one where I talked about your Gibson card. And uh, so we've just been having a lot of good back and forth. We've created some cool, we, I should say, FD, David has created some awesome Excel sheets to pull the information and just kind of organize it so that we can bring a, a slightly more long form version of the market updates that I've been doing, but with a, a focus on the most interesting stuff that we've seen throughout the week. So I don't know if there's anything that you want to kick it off with. I know we saw some uh, some pretty cool things this week. Well, if we're just sticking with the surface, this past week we've seen the trend continue. The overall price of an all-star set has dipped again slightly. There are some notable exceptions to that, and we'll get into those. But just overall, we've seen the uh, price of a full all-star set drop from just over 11000 to just over 10000 And that's mirrored pretty much across the board over all the different Rarity sets, the core dropped, yeah, about $1,000. A set of uncommons dropped a similar amount. A set of rares stayed actually pretty close to the same, but the general measuring stick is going to be buying one of each core. Yeah. And we've seen, you know, with some exceptions, they've, they've dropped about 8% over the course of a week. But there still has been some interesting price activity and we have seen it fluctuate too. We've seen it. We've seen it go down this low. You know, we've seen it flirt with ten thousand and then move back up towards eleven thousand. So it has gone kind of back and forth, especially when you see guys like uh, Trout and Otani making big moves because they have such a significant impact on that floor. So mm-hmm. it definitely has moved up and down, but it is. It does seem to all be going in a really steady, uh, steady downtrend which is to be expected while things are kind of, there's a lack of excitement right now around baseball. Right, especially with, with the lockout, with the uncertainty, it, as you said, it's expected that we're going to see this type of uh, a lull yeah. until things pick up again. But ev- And it's good that you mentioned Otani and Trout. Even if just those two cards return to their all-time high, that would push the market up 2,000 just by themselves. So it could move a lot very quickly. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> Um, so do you want to jump into some of the, the bigger individual movers from the week? Yeah, we've seen four players in particular sell a high number of cards compared to the rest. It was a fairly slow week um, relative to the previous one in terms of over, 
overall sales. But if you want to isolate just the ones who sold the most in the past week, we've seen Jared Walsh sell 20 cores, Ozzy Albies, 17, Joey Gallo, 17, and Jake Cronenworth, 13. Those are some big numbers, head and shoulders above the rest, and their core price moved with those sales as well. Uh, They all increased their core price by at least 21% this past week. And it looks like with Cronenworth having the biggest jump, almost a 50% jump from week to week. And this was the one that we teased on Twitter with the just the chart mm-hmm. this week. And you can see, this is why Serial Chaser is just such a cool tool, is that you can just see all stacked up in the same day. And I know you can't see the screen here, FD, but just just one after another after another getting picked up. The first one went for $49 at 9.06 a.m. on the 9th. And then... After that, it was a couple minutes later for 50 bucks, then 53, 55. So somebody just came in here and swept the floor. They just decided that Walsh was undervalued and that, you know, I've held Walsh in fantasy baseball each of the last couple of years for stints. He's got insane power. This is a guy that really is an exciting bat, but you just never know if he's going to end up being, you know, the the 220 and 30 home run guy that, that won't truly pan out but there's a lot of excitement here so I can see why Walsh was one of these guys and obviously Cronenworth pull him up next here another guy another young guy I think it was his second year in the league last year not quite a rookie but somebody that you could see a baseball fan baseball enthusiast somebody that's just savvy on younger players somebody that they'd be excited about so this one wasn't as huge on the core volume but again, you can see them all stacked up on the 10th of February, and that just immediately brings the floor up. Right, and when we're talking about when we're talking about a set like this with the mint numbers as small as they are, it doesn't take a lot to move a floor. And with so many of us being so confident in the long-term value of the project, it it's easy to see why someone would decide to pick up a handful of one of these undervalued players and, and just let the the market set itself from there definitely yeah i i did it myself a friend and i did it with uh with brian reynolds probably mm-hmm. two weeks ago when he was sitting there at 40 dollars for his cores and I'm, I'm holding a nice little handful of those and there's a shout out to chap the barber on twitter he's been he's been picking up some brian reynolds as well and yeah i think that all of us as baseball fans have a, a couple players that we have an affinity to, even if they're not on our own teams. And yeah, if you believe in this project long term, then why not have a handful of shares of, of a single guy that you probably want to hold because you believe in him, but also gives you an opportunity to, to fluctuate in and out and, and capitalize on other opportunities as well. Well said. And the next thing that kind of stands out to me, other than those high volume movers is just the the difference in price between one rarity to another and and that's something that i think as our marketplace matures is going to see some major changes Um, because right now as we look at the difference between a player's core and a player's uncommon for the most part the uncommons cost around twice as much Uh, you have some cases where it's not that much, in some cases where it's quite a bit more. Notably, you have your Tim Anderson, where his uncommons are four times as much because he has such a powerful video yeah. to accompany his uncommon. Arguably the best video in the whole set. Mm. 
But that two times modifier that we're seeing for an uncommon, that's low, and we're going to see that change over time. Even if you're just looking at the number of cards at each rarity, you would expect, because there's 409 of each core and 120 of each uncommon, the math would work out to more like a three and a half times modifier, mm -hmm. all things being equal. And I think we're going to see those numbers change. We're going to see a shift again as the marketplace matures, and we're going to see a three times modifier minimum reached in a matter of months. But that's without even considering the fact that the cores are the only icon that doesn't include a video. Once you include that, it's just more of a reason to want to have those higher rarity cards. Yeah, you and I have had this conversation where it just it doesn't make sense to either one of us for that to be a 2x when you're having the two huge upgrades of not only the video, but cutting the serial run down by two thirds. So <laughs> I think that everybody has focused on the cheapest cards right now because everything is relatively expensive compared to the, the initial cost of the packs. But mm -hmm. yeah, I think that as we see new people come into the market, as well as we're all just educating ourselves little by little and recognizing things little by little. And some of us quicker than others, we all have different methods, but definitely trying to identify what that multiplier should be in each of our own opinion because there's there's really cool stuff at each step too because the rare the rare is the first level where the video becomes really something cool where they've added additional animation and a lot of just cool graphics and the blue is just it pops so much more than than the colors on the core the uncommon so that's a huge step there and then obviously at the epic you have the the signature added and legendary is just it's its own thing but um, mm -hmm. they're really they did put thought into nice little bumps at each tier that that truly did make each step a little bit cooler than the last so that's exactly why that at the very least we should see those floor differences reach the mathematical average you know that three and a half multiplier for an uncommon but realistically it should be even higher four or even five times multiplier for that uncommon and then each step beyond that doubling again or just about yep agreed um were there any other specific players that we wanted to to pull up on serial chaser well one of the issues i wanted to cover was um the players that have at their higher rarities a more restricted supply due to the amount of sales they've done already mm -hmm. and, and so i've isolated the top four players in terms of epic sales and the top four players in terms of their rare sales. And we can see how having that high number of sales has given them a higher floor to their uh, epics and to their rares than we would otherwise expect. And so a good one to pull up would be our number one selling epic player, Yadier Molina. And so if we want to take a look at his chart. Yeah, um, we got it up. And we'll see that since the marketplace has started, he's moved a total of 15 epics. He did one sale for his epic this past week to bring him to that 15. And um, currently, he has eight left for sale and three left in packs. And so if you assume each one of those sales went to a unique owner and they're not planning on selling again soon... You know, that puts the 15 sales and the three that are still left in packs out of circulation. 
And it just really restricts the amount available. And that's only going to shrink as, as more sales occur. But you can see that reflected in this past week uh, of data. We see that his low epic was 3250 uh, when we collected our data and his low core is 121. It's a multiplier of almost 27 uh, over his core to get his cheapest epic right now. Mm-hmm. And, and that's because such a high amount of his supply has already been taken out of circulation. Yep. Yeah, it's uh, uh, it's a that's a really interesting one. It's it's pretty cool to see, especially when you've got some guys that have had I think two is two the bottom in terms of the lowest number of epic sales for any given player. Yes, we have three who have only moved a total of two epics. That would be Zach Wheeler, Yu Darvish, and Aaron Judge, oddly enough, have only had two epic sales apiece. Although that Aaron Judge one just changed uh, substantially today because we had two sales today that would not have been captured in our data from yesterday. So we had no. Judge Epic go here. I'll pull him up real quick. And, and that is good to point out. The data that we've been basing our discussion on, we took a, a snapshot of the information yesterday. That'd be Sunday, February 13th. And so that's what a bulk of our conversation will be based around, except when we're pulling up this live information. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I just happened to notice that one today. But yeah, like you had said, prior to today, there had only been two. They had gone for 3750 on the 19th of January and 2900 on the 22nd of January. And then we had to wait all the way until today. We had two go for uh, 2800 and 2900 pretty mm-hmm. much back to back. I would imagine, I you know, I didn't check it, but it, I would imagine it could have been the same buyer. A minute spread apart, $100 spread apart. Probably somebody that decided that they liked that price and they wanted to grab a couple of them. So. Yeah, I'll look into that later, but I think you're right. That prob- that just looks like it went to the same person, mm-hmm. just based upon the timing. But we'll, we'll take a closer look at that tonight and, and make sure. Perhaps the purchaser, they just identified what they felt was a, a high-value pickup for an Epic. I wouldn't um, argue with them either. I mean, Aaron Judge is, you know, he's not in that the top six guys that everybody is so excited about. But I think immediately after those six guys, and this isn't a hot take, but Judge and Mookie are really safe. They're kind of like the tier two trout, in my opinion, where they've got big markets, you know, whether it be New York, Mookie's got Boston and LA in his favor. These are guys that are personalities. They are liked players within the MLB by fans. And it's just a really... It's just a safe card to to put your money into if this is a project that you're excited to be holding cards in because they're just they're guys that are going to be well liked for a long time I would imagine so picking up a couple epic Aaron judges is uh, congrats to that buyer assuming mm-hmm. it's the same person well then yeah that, but that'll put our bottom two in terms of epic sales to just Darvish and Wheeler alone now that Judge has given himself some separation. But on average, at least with the data set we're using, each player has sold just over seven epics. And so you have some cases where it's well under that in the two range. And as we just discussed, you have uh, Yadier at the top of the list at 15. Mm-hmm. And so he's more than doubled the average sales for epics. And, and that's where that conversation about restricted supply really comes into play. 
One of the things that I've enjoyed discussing with you regarding this project is the way that you look every at these different things from different angles because you we have such limited information on the surface when it comes to what you're getting on the candy website and you see people complaining in the discord here and there mostly not but I think that if everyone would just slow down for a second recognize the tools that they have at their disposal and come at it from their own angle and then you can start to identify things that create opportunities that wouldn't be available if all of it was just at our disposal immediately. So yes, it is a little bit hard to navigate the Candy website and get exactly the information that you want. But between the Candy website, SerialChaser.com and Serial1.net, you can piece it together and identify things that won't pop out to everybody. And I think that that is what makes this these early days in this project so interesting. The person that's willing to do a little bit more work and a little bit more research can uncover patterns for themselves. And I think that's exciting. I, I agree. Of course. Yeah. Um, I, I, <laughs> you are the poster child of that. <laughs> and speaking of being able to identify opportunities by using that type of data, we just looked at Molina where his 15 sales put his current Epic floor a bit higher than what we would expect it to be with that 27 modifier. Mm-hmm. We have for example, Walker Bueller, 13 epic sales. And his epic floor is lower than we would expect it to be. That makes him a good opportunity when you consider that his supply has already been reduced by those 13 sales. Uh, When you consider he's got four of his epics still left in packs, that's more than half the supply right there out of circulation. He's only got six listed for sale currently. And and with uh, the current low price tag on his Epic of uh, $1,199 relative to the $110 floor on his core, that's an only an 11 times modifier, which is below average across all Epics, not just ones that have oversold the way Bueller's has. And so you can contrast situations like Molina's, where his restricted supply has caused his Epics to be higher than expected, and you can identify an opportunity like Bueller where his is lower than expected. And, and someone, I think, is going to get a bargain on that 1199 Epic mm-hmm. um, when you consider that information. Definitely. And Bueller is a far, fun upside guy, too. I think that, you know, there obviously you're going to see differences in prices and how people, you know, approach different players based on where those guys are in their career. So there is, you can't ignore the fact that Molina is, you know, he's a a shoe-in Hall of Famer at catcher. And I think that everybody is banking on that, especially the ones that are investing a little bit more heavily in him. Whereas Bueller is kind of on the other side of of the equation where he's at the beginning of his career. He's, He's been pretty nasty for the last couple seasons and he has all the upside in the world. He's, he's one of those young starting pitchers that, that could be the next DeGrom if, it, if things continue to, to go the way that his trajectory has been the last couple of years. So there's a ton of upside there to go along with the, the slightly cheaper price tag. And so it's all just mm-hmm. what, what, is your, uh, what is your interest as a fan? What is it that you want to, to kind of put your money in? Mm-hmm. And when we're discussing the higher rarity cards, it isn't just epics. We also have the rare tier of cards with only 60 supply per player that have also seen uh, a few players 
have notably high sales, which again, will just that conversation of restricted supply. At the top of the list, we have Juan Soto, head and shoulders above the rest. In second place is 26 sales, and he's sitting at the top of the mountain with 34 total sales on his rare. Mm -hmm. Because he's sold so many, there's only six currently for sale. And with four left in packs, the circulating supply is borderline non-existent for his rares. And even with that said, his current floor, uh, 2500 for his rares, uh, versus his core price of 555 is only four and a half times multiplier. You would expect it to be even higher with the amount of sales he's already seen for his rares. Mm-hmm. But he's a, he's a player as well that has put himself at the head of the pack. He's in the conversation with Trout and Otani as one of these more bankable cards. And so I I think we're going to see that trend continue and we're going to see the price on his rares continue to multiply versus the price on his cores. Yeah, I agree with that. I think that Soto doesn't carry the same injury risk that you have with some of these other exciting guys up at the top. Obviously, Trout has injury problems, but he's cemented himself and that's just, you know, Trout's Trout. So that's its own conversation. Otani has all the upside in the world, but injury risk. Acuna, all the upside in the world and has been one of those studs for the last couple of years, but injury risk. Tatis as well. Soto just is kind of a, we haven't seen injury plague his career so far. He's this high on base type guy, just ton of discipline. He feels like one of the safer cards in the top six in terms of just mm-hmm. who the player is and what the what the trajectory of their career has been so far. And if you're looking at the graph uh, on his rare sales, um, with the notable exception of a uh, a cheap listing from the 11th, we've seen consistent sales prices going back to January 24th. They're they're spread out. Uh, so it's not just one person buying them all at once. It was just a sale one day, another the next, another the next, you know, for the past couple weeks. And I, I think that type of consistency shows that he has value that people recognize. Whenever the cheapest rare inches its way down, someone's there waiting to pull the trigger on his next sale. Yeah, absolutely. It is uh, it is pretty cool to see that type of volume. I'm just going to compare him to somebody else right in the top six there, which is Tatis. And just for reference, he's only got 15 rare mm-hmm. sales so far. And aside from one that happened on the 27th, which isn't even all that recent, the one prior to that was on the 18th. So mm-hmm. just not a whole lot of movement. You had 14 of these happen between you know opening weekend which was the 15th to the 18th so 14 of them happened in a four-day span and then one on the 27th and nothing since so it's it's funny i mean why why you know there are some differences in these players but it's funny to see that a guy like tatis who is such a huge face he's been doing it for for a little bit now it's a it's an interesting thing to see that their numbers are so out of whack in terms of their rare sales Right. Now, the difference between them, that could just speak to the price that the Tatis holders are willing to go down to. Because their floor on his, despite having a similar price core, 
uh, his rare floor is a little bit higher. And so people might just be expecting those rares to come down over time and they're just waiting at a slightly lower level. But it could just be that everyone currently holding a Tatis rare is just more confident in his value that they're not willing to go that low. And so while there are listings, and there's a couple right around 3,000, but then the next ones uh, aren't until 4,000, 5,000, 6,000. They're, they're spaced out quite a bit. Mm-hmm. And this goes back to how confident we are in the long-term value of this project. They could be not only confident in these NFTs, but confident in uh, the value of Tatis as a player that they're just going to wait until that catches up before those sales start to occur. Yeah, that's a good point. And I kind of had the answer as that was leaving my mouth. But yeah, that's absolutely the case uh, in terms of a lot of decisions that get made. It's do I want to put 3,000 here or 2,000 there? Do I want to put 300 here or 200 there? So those are the type Mm -hmm. of decisions that that have to be made. So uh, it does make sense. But at the same time, you would think that still being in the same ballpark, that you'd mm-hmm. see a little bit more volume on Tatis. But maybe when the the gap is, you know, you've got a 50% discount on the Tatis rare to grab a Soto, and I certainly don't think that he's 50% discount in terms of uh, right. the player. So makes the decision a little bit easier. And that is also why I like to measure these higher rarity cards in terms of the number of cores you could also pick up, because that can make it a difficult decision as well. Do you want to pay... 10 times a player's core for a rare or do you want 10 of their cores there can be more upside to the the core price moving over time to just have a larger share in terms of their total supply uh, at those lower rarity but we've looked at the rares on Juan Soto one of the higher value picks and another rare that has sold a surprising amount Uh, if we're looking for a bargain, would actually be Nelson Cruz. He hasn't sold 34 like Soto, but he's tied for second at 26 total sales on his rares. He's only got 12 currently listed on the marketplace, and he actually has 10 still trapped in his packs. So 10 and and with the 26 that have sold, that's over half the supply uh, effectively uh, out of circulation. And I would consider him to be a bargain on his rares right now. His cheapest rare is only $225. With a core price of 55, that's just over a four times multiplier, which is about standard for rares. So that hasn't even seen an uptick when you consider how restricted his supply is with the number of sales he's already seen. And and that's that's the type of bargain I'd be looking for when I'm considering these these sales numbers on the epics and these sales numbers on the rares. Yeah, I agree. And Cruz is another exciting guy in terms of end of his career. And, you know, he's done it for so long. He's been so successful. He's a little bit more in that Molina tier. Um, I'm not going to put him quite at Molina. Molina is obviously just one of the great catchers that's ever played the game. But, yeah, it's this is not as attractive or exciting a card as many of the other all-stars in this set. But I agree with you. At that price, at a you know 225 floor currently for a rare Nelson Cruz, that feels like a nice card to to put in your back pocket and hold on to. And when it comes to budgeting, because we have to be realistic about the cards we want to invest in, it's a lot more attractive 
to get in on on what feels like a good deal at that type of price point. Uh, because generally you're going to expect cards like the epics and the rares to not be as liquid. And if you do decide that you want to sell one of those cards, you're going to have to expect it's going to take a bit longer to move. And so you're going to want to, to be confident that you're getting a good price because it might be weeks or months before you sell that card if you decide to. But it's so hard to sell these cards anyways. You just want to to keep them as the, the crown jewels in your collection. Definitely. There's such an emotional element to all of it. But the point you just made is a good one, which is that I think that you know, from time to time, you see some comments in the Discord or on Twitter or whatever it is. But I think there some people thought that this was going to be, you know, flipping cards on MLB The Show or on eBay or something like that. And that's just not what this is. This, you know, especially like you said, when you get to the rare or epic cards, the serial runs are low, the, the prices are high. And you need specific buyers that are interested in a particular card. And so you need to you need to buy things that you believe in. And so what your you know exit strategy is at, at some point down the line, that's up to you. But your entry needs to be, you know, well it needs to be well thought through. And it mm-hmm. needs to be something that you truly believe in. And I think that that's important with any NFT project, and this one is included. You can't be expecting to buy one of these higher tier cards or even a core or an, or an uncommon. There's plenty of good buys to, to be had right now, but it doesn't mean that you're going to be able to immediately turn around and sell it at a profit because we just aren't seeing that type of liquidity yet. I think that it's coming at some point when we have an mm-hmm. influx of users, but we're just not there right now. Exactly. And it not just for the candy digital NFTs, but for, for any NFT, you should expect when you're purchasing something that you may be holding onto it indefinitely. You, it cannot be assumed that, that you're going to get your money back the next day. And as long as everyone approaches this type of product, this type of collectible, or this type of investment, if that's how you view it, with the mindset that you're spending money that you won't have access to again immediately or perhaps ever. You can be a lot more cautious, a lot more healthy with the amount of money that you're putting in and a lot happier with the result when you build yourself a nice collection that you're happy holding on to. And I think that that's a, a good opportunity to make state the obvious, but or maybe not so obvious that none of what we're talking about is financial advice here. Mm-hmm. You know, we throw around the word investment because it's it's easy to look at it in that way. We're looking at all the data and the charts, but you and I are both in this as huge baseball fans, people that have mm-hmm. been involved in a lot of NFT projects over the last year, and it's just a nice intersection of our interests. But you know, you and I are not buying anything that that we're not excited to have in our own personal collection. And then what mm-hmm. what ends up coming of it is remains to be seen. But we wouldn't be putting our money in this project if it wasn't something that we believed in big picture as a whole regardless so i think that it's important for everybody to recognize that with whatever nft project or whatever they're putting their money into in terms of trying to make their money work for them or collectibles or anything else of that nature Mm -hmm. as we've uh, continued to review the previous week of data uh, there have been some interesting quirks some interesting anomalies that that jump out at us as well one that caught my eye was actually uh joey wendell 
on his uncommon price. He has seen in the past week a 25% increase to the price of his uncommon, and he's done that on the back of zero sales. And I, I thought that was pretty interesting. Yeah, I just pulled it up here. His last uncommon sale was on February 6th for $59. So outside of the one-week snapshot that, that we're using to show our comparisons. And I think that what's cool about that, and it kind of contributes to the last our last little segment about liquidity, is that you have to look at this stuff from all the different angles because no sales, and yet we've got a change in floor price. And that's a reminder that floor price doesn't tell you everything. Most recent sale doesn't tell you everything. You have to look at it in an aggregate, and you have to realize that just because a floor sits at a certain spot doesn't mean that it's going to sell for that. If the floor of Wendell Uncommons is $100 right now, but people aren't willing to buy them unless they drop down to 60 we're going to continue to not see any uh, any sales like that. And that actually happened. I, I, I pulled a Chris Taylor Epic in a pack. I sat with a bunch of patient Chris Taylor Epic owners at around 1,200 listings. I just wanted to liquidate it to be able to put it back into something else. And the reality was that that just didn't add up compared to where his core was and, and what what those cars were moving for. And eventually I had to lower it to, to make that happen. So again, it's you got to put it all together and recognize that all these numbers work together to paint the, the broader mm-hmm. picture of, of what's actually going on with each card at each rarity. Well, and, and if you're that person sitting with that cheapest listing and, and there's a good jump ahead of you, there's nothing to stop you from taking your listing off the marketplace for a time to see what happens, to see if any sales come through at that higher price point. It's just going to depend on a very individual basis of how patient you are in terms of waiting for the value of these icons and the value of this project to to reach the level that you personally feel it belongs at. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Yeah, and there's a lot of different ways to approach that. You, you know, if you're sitting there at the floor and somebody undercuts you, you could you could undercut them too if you wanted to. I don't think there'd be a, you know, you can do what you want to do, but you could also just mm-hmm. delist to your point. And now that undercut looks that much more attractive compared to the next card above yours. Get it out of mm-hmm. the way and then reestablish the floor where you want it to be. And I think that people don't necessarily realize how much power they have in a market this small to maintain that floor if they're willing to exert the patience that is required to, to do mm-hmm. something like that. So if you're set sale motivated, then by all means do your thing. But if you're in this for the long haul and you're being patient with each move, there's different things that you can do to, to make that undercut look more attractive and let it get picked up quickly and move back to what the floor should be or was or however you want to call it. I agree. And I, especially this past week, I think things have been a bit slower than maybe some people were expecting. Um, but there's some pretty clear reasons for that. You know, there's the news surrounding the MLB lockout. And with candy specifically, currently, you don't receive your funds until seven days after you make a sale. And I think a lot of people, because candy has the, the new candy racing NFTs dropping tomorrow morning. And I think a lot of people have been holding onto their balance, waiting for that, getting ready to invest in the next candy project. Because it's not just that I'm a baseball fan. I'm a fan of the team that has been built around Candy Digital, and I have a lot of confidence in the products that they're putting out. I know I'm going to be participating in the drop for Candy Racing tomorrow. 
And if there's a lot of people like me, that could also account for this previous week, just a little bit less sales than we've been maybe expecting. Definitely. Yeah. I think that I think that people that are in this ecosystem, it's uh, reasonable to think that they'd be balancing the funds across the, the multitude of projects that Candy puts out. So you can definitely see that playing a, playing a role with, with it being a little bit slower this week. All right. So that pretty much sums up the, li- the hit list that we had today. So just first and foremost, appreciate you being here, David, FD. This has been super fun to have somebody else just completely nerd out with. So I appreciate you making the initial contact with your YouTube comment. And it's been great having all the conversation and pulling the data. And you've you've taught me a lot as well. So I appreciate that. Yeah. Thank you, Nate, so much for having me on. It's been a blast. And I look forward to getting right back into it again next week. Yeah. So, yeah, we're going to we're keep making more of these. They'll improve with each with each passing video finding our footing and uh, our style here, but appreciate you guys watching and we'll see you in the next one.